Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well tonight, Ed, and hope you are. I am. I am. Interesting week of events. Quite. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan. That was General McKenzie, the commander of Central Command, announcing that all troops had been, uh, all troops had left Afghanistan and the airlift was completed. Complete being the operative word. Yeah. And, you know, I'm left with uh, one statistic, 2,461, the number of military casualties, or strike that, the number of military fatalities over the last 20 years in Afghanistan. Of course, there were more contractors that were killed as well as civilians, both uh, American and uh, Afghani, as well as other countries. Um, but a pretty significant toll that our military has paid over the last 20 years. Indeed it is. Uh, it's all for naught, seems to me. You know, I'm afraid that I have to agree with you. And several weeks ago, as we started talking about this, as we barreled toward this conclusion, at the beginning I said, this isn't like the Russians. It's not like the British being slaughtered in the Khyber Pass. We're setting the conditions under which we're leaving. Well, since I said that, the whole country fell apart. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, President Biden didn't want any conditions. I think it was his fear of uh, having to stay um, or perhaps having to fight a little bit more and take casualties. I think he wanted uh, to be given credit for ending America's longest war without taking casualties and simply did not listen to what certainly the intelligence community from what we hear told him and, and perhaps his military advisors as well. And uh, I think uh, barreling towards this is a good, is an apt description because that's what happened. It is a disaster of epic proportions, even more so than we talked about last week. Um, it is a catastrophe on multiple levels and for many folks. And it's so unnecessary and beyond the individual, uh, the individuals involved, is it, I think it's a, a significant blow to American prestige, uh, American willpower, American reputation around the world. And American credibility. It absolutely is. I mean, one of the things that Joe Biden campaigned upon was that we were going to, you know, uh, essentially rejoin the community of nations and America was back and diplomacy and and all such as that. And he's managed to piss off, pardon my French, uh, every ally that we've had. He has especially angered the British, quote-unquote, best friend that we have. The, uh, historically, Special has, relationship. Exactly, the special relationship. Obama did a lot to damage that. Trump made inroads on restoring it, if not outright restored it. And now the, you know, the Brits are saying openly, we're not we don't trust this administration. We're not going to do anything uh, with regard to this administration where we put our people at risk because we can't trust them based upon the repeated assurances that the Biden administration gave to the British and others that we would not leave precipitously and we would not 
uh, leave folks there and we would um, not make it a, uh, a jailbreak trying to get out of, of Afghanistan. And, uh, and that's exactly what he did. What about Biden's own credibility in this? Because I can just give you a couple of examples, but back in April or May, Jen Psaki at a press uh, briefing said that uh, she was pressed on the issue about uh, military advisors recommending that troops remain in Afghanistan. Um, she more or less acknowledged that happened and said that the president made the decision. Well, that's true. But then subsequent to that, Biden now says, well, everybody was on his side. Every military advisor said we should pull out. Now, uh, another example, July 8th, he said the government wouldn't fall. Yesterday, transcripts of a call between him and President Ghani, the Afghan president, came out where he more or less admitted he knew it was a disaster over there and was urging Ghani to change the perception of it. It's a lie. Yeah, exactly. And then a third example, just a couple of weeks ago, he spoke with Stephanopoulos, and although he was somewhat under pressure, but he guaranteed that they would get all Americans out. That's right. Until everyone was removed. Exactly. Jerome McKenzie then earlier in the week said this. There's a lot of heartbreak associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. But I think if we'd stayed another 10 days, Louis, we wouldn't have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. He said that we did not get everybody out. Biden spoke and said that it was 90 percent, which still leaves a lot of people if you consider the original numbers. The White House then released a transcript and changed that to 98 percent, even though he'd said 90 percent. And, and, and they left the line in the type transcript where they, they drew the line through 90 percent and changed the number. Yeah, I just don't know how they have any credibility at this point. I don't think they do, um, and uh, I don't think they will. Um, I heard on the radio today, it's the first time I had heard it, uh, at least that I recall, that um, the Trump plan, which had conditions attached, that if the Taliban uh, met those conditions, we would leave uh, by a date certain. Even upon the... Uh, leaving the country, his plan was to leave 2,500 troops at Bagram Airfield for, I'm not sure exactly what purposes, but but was going to leave some folks there. And um, Biden said no. I'm troubled by General Milley, Secretary Austin, General McKenzie. I do not believe that they advised the president to, to conduct the withdrawal in this fashion. I just find that unbelievable that professional soldiers of that sort of experience and training would do so. And if they did not, and he rejected their advice, it seems to me that they would have been honor-bound to have resigned and to said, you know, to say, I'm not going to be a part of this. This is this is wrong. It's it's not good for the country. It's not good for our folks on the ground. It's not good for, for our credibility going forward and so forth. And it hasn't happened. Uh, the only person who's lost his job uh, over this fiasco is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller of the Marine Corps, who posted uh, the video on social media lamenting the fact that the brass in the DOD was, was not being held accountable for, uh, for the failure. And, uh, you know, we, we, you and I talked about this yesterday. Um, he, he was right, in my opinion, but he can't do that as an officer in the military, uh, an active duty serving officer. 
Um, and he's well aware of that. And he's well aware of that. And Every I think officer's he, aware I, of that. I think he knew what the consequences would be. I, I think, um, you know, he should have resigned first, in my opinion. Um, well, see, I, I would disagree a little bit because I'm not convinced he's right. I think he may be proven to be right at some point in the future. But I think to to come out with those strong statements now just seems a little premature when there's probably more shoes to drop on this story. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there definitely are. And, and if you notice, there's, there's starting to be um, leaks uh, by various uh, players, if you will, military, State Department, intelligence community, White House, the Brits, a little bit from the Germans, all starting to, to leak to absolve themselves of blame and point the finger at others. And I'm sure that will continue. And and I think we'll, we'll know more. Uh, right now, it seems to be death by a thousand cuts for the Biden administration. You talked about the uh, news late yesterday about his requesting that President Ghani if necessary, lie to change the perception of the Afghan National Army and the and his government's ability to uh, continue to to operate in the face of the Taliban, um, and and then you know there have been other there are other leaks that just are sort of trickling out, all of which are doing incredible damage to our national security apparatus and our foreign relations. Yeah, and I'll go back to the point you made about his advisors. I agree with you. I don't think everybody advised him to pursue this course of action. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm as 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 much in agreement that they should have resigned over it. I, I would respect someone who said, you know, the president sets the policy and we do our best to execute it. But the problem is that they've all come out and more or less just said, yeah, we agreed, and, and that is very difficult, if not impossible, to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a problem too. If if they're not telling, if if they're telling the truth about that, then then frankly, I question their competence. Well, and back in the spring, the White House said all the advisors did not agree. So, right. so what's the truth of yeah. that? And and if they're not telling the truth, then then I question their integrity and their honor because you know they can either remain silent or they can quit and tell the truth. Uh, it's just a it's just a mess, and it, it's you know I, I don't think there are many who disagree that we needed to be out. I think it's a question of the timing and then the, the the effectiveness of the actual means of the withdrawal. And and that's where the my problem with the situation is. It's just terrible. I'm not sure I agree that we needed to be out. I certainly, now that I look at it, I'm not sure I agree that it was the endless war scenario that Biden wanted per, to portray. Uh, and that, you know, if we had been able to continue logistic support and we were maintaining an intelligence post there... You know, I think maybe that would have been the well, solution I, to this, yeah, but I certainly I, I don't, don't think we should have been in the middle of a civil war. But I, I, I don't think we were either. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. If if, if you're providing some logistic support uh, and, and some intelligence uh, gathering capabilities and so forth, I, I don't consider that really to be significant uh, involvement such that it, it's a problem. I'm talking about having combat troops on the ground in the middle of their civil war in a country that Frankly, we have no national interest in unless it's being used um, as a staging ground for terrorism as it was in 2001. But perhaps I could be convinced that we should still be there. I don't know. I tend to doubt it. I think to me, the best argument would be that it was a fairly stable country. If we weren't involved in combat ops, if we were hunkered down at Bagram and that was enough to maintain the 
Afghan government and the Afghan army at least holding positions in the country. I think at least staying there through the fighting season would have made sense instead of pulling out at this point, uh, if not beyond that. Yeah, no but, doubt. No but doubt. what did you think about Biden's speech yesterday? His speech, um, uh, let me summarize, it was wonderfully conducted, and it wasn't my fault where it went wrong. Is that sort of what you heard? Here's my take on it for what it's worth, is that during the campaign, Themes from the Biden campaign were that he just cares more than anybody else. He's empathetic. He cares. He's going to just he's not Trump. Trump's mean. He's not. I think that was his speech. I think that whenever there was anything he could be empathetic about, that's what he tried to do. And then he tried to blame everybody else for all the bad stuff, whether it was Trump, military advisors, the Afghan army, the Afghan president, uh, whoever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was the, the campaign in just a smaller format, and it's just, just a horrible presentation by the president. It, it was. I mean, even his volume, uh, where he seemed to be yelling at the American people. Uh, and then again, yet again, he, he turned on his heel and refused to answer questions. Uh, I see that he's scheduled now to go to Delaware this weekend, um, and the optics on that are not good. Maybe get some sleep there. Yeah, and he's getting <laughs> he's getting beat up uh, in the press uh, uh, over that. Um, and and I saw somebody speculating, and I, you know this is this may not be exactly fair, but they said you know the weekend after we, we leave uh, in such a state, and the president leaves to go to Delaware, he gets away from the White House where there are visitors' logs, and he goes to Delaware where there are none. So the question is why. Well, I'm not sure there aren't logs there. They just won't release the logs. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure how they get away with that. Uh, you know, if they're required, as I understand that they are, and you would know this better than I, but they they have to release the, the White House logs. Why don't they have to release the Delaware logs as well? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that until the media sues them and tries to take it that way. And I'm I'm not sure where that stands. Yeah. But let me let me throw two things out about the the Biden speech. First, every time Biden has come out to talk over the last couple of weeks, I don't understand why nothing has been on time at the White House. They announced the time, and then 45 minutes later, they push it back. And then one day it was five hours late talking. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and this goes beyond Biden, I just it's something to think about. Years ago, I remember when presidents came on at nine o'clock at night. They were sitting in the Oval Office behind that big desk with some pictures behind them. And it was impressive. Every network broke in, and you knew it was a major story. Trump may have spoken from the Oval Office once, maybe twice. I don't remember Obama doing it at all. Maybe he did. I don't know whatever happened to those days and the, the presidency meaning more than just showing up and, you know, sputtering through a few remarks in the some other room of the White House. I just wonder what happened. I, I don't know. It's a good point. Um, I, I think some of it is in the... Um, is it in the red room where they do this or that they have the podium and the carpet and the down shoot down the hallway? Uh, I think one, they like the look uh, Two, the president can turn and walk away from the press. They don't have to sh hustle the press out of the Oval Office and they're barking questions and so forth. And I suspect, although I don't know this, um, they can get more members of the media into that hallway or, or whatever it's actually called than they can in the Oval Office. Um, but it, it's I, I think there's a third piece of this 
with respect to his his speech. Uh, and this you know, he caught a bunch of hell on this um, over the weekend because he he, he pulled this uh, when he was at the uh, uh, I think they call it the dignified transfer of the of the caskets. Dover Air Force Base. Yeah, he he talks about his son Bo and his service in Iraq, and that's I mean he's entitled to be proud. He should be proud of that, and it's a tragedy that his son died, but him losing his son to brain cancer is really not. I mean it's it's not really relevant in in a large to a large degree with the losses of 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 service personnel. In in con in combat, I mean yes, there's a death and it's a death of a young person and and so forth. But particularly in this instance where the families are, I won't say they're uh, unified, but but the, most of them that have spoken out anyway are saying that they're not happy with the president, they're not happy with his remarks, they're not happy with him checking his watch five times. Um, it, you know, it's the last thing he ought to be doing, and he he, he constantly says talks about it. And it just it, it is it's bizarre to me, and I agree with you on the on the, the the time delay. It suggests that he's either not ready, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever, to make these speeches. Um, he's not prepared to make them, and I don't understand that because he's just reading a teleprompter. Um, or there's some sort of disagreement going on behind the scenes about what's going to be put into the pre- teleprompter. Uh, and and I suspect, I don't know this, but it, it seems to me that you can make a pretty good case that Joe Biden intellectually is the kind of guy who's going to parrot the last thing he hears, and he tends to 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 seize onto that. It does not give a sense of confidence, of a steady hand on the wheel, when the man making the decisions is constantly, constantly late like that. It's one thing to run a few minutes behind, particularly at an at other kinds of events where he might have to stop and, you know, work a rope line or shake some hands of donors or shake some hands of senators or congresspeople or whatever, the public. But to be four and five hours late, particularly on, a, on an event such as this that is solemn, uh, is it just doesn't it doesn't foster a whole lot of confidence in his ability to lead. Well, no, and he's getting uh, coverage from every every news network, every broadcast network. They're going to break in and show that. Now, instead of doing it in prime time and addressing the nation, they schedule these other events, and then they just look disorganized. And then that makes them look th- that that calls their competence, whether it's fair or not. That calls their competence into question. No, I think we close this chapter, 2,461 service members having given the ultimate sacrifice for Afghanistan. And we are essentially where we were on September 10th, 2001. I know that uh, Biden says we're not going back, although later he said we might bomb ISIS-K, which kind of sounds like going back. But uh, I don't know what the future holds. Yeah, General Milley said today when they asked him at his press conference, they took three questions. Of course, they called on uh, Democrat uh, members of the news media, sort of advocates rather than journalists, who threw incredibly softball questions. But the, one of the questions to him was, was it possible that we would work with the Taliban in order to strike ISIS-K? And he paused, and then he said, possibly. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, they're considering at some level going back militarily. That beyond the opening the can of worms about working with the Taliban is in direct contradiction to what the president said as late as yesterday afternoon, um, which again, you know, which is it, Joe? Um, and uh, and then, you know, the National Security Advisor said this morning uh, that financial aid to the Taliban uh, was under consideration and might happen. Now, I, I personally think that's really more in the form of ransom to some of these people that are still there. They're just going to call it aid. But, you know, I mean, I don't think the American people are, are, are going to sit idly by um, and allow this withdrawal and then let's turn around and start sending financials. I mean, the American people don't like foreign aid to anyone, but certainly not to the Taliban. Well, not only that, but we've given billions of dollars uh, to Af- hundreds of billions of dollars to Afghanistan over the last twenty years. Yeah, and and the idea that we would, you know, give more aid to to a, a group of folks that um, fostered terrorism twenty years ago is unbelievable to me. And and are still. So I guess this chapter is coming to an end. Next week, we'll be getting close to the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven, and. And we'll just see what happens after that. But, um, you know, all the news didn't come out of Afghanistan and Washington this week. There were a couple of stories from Texas of note because we've talked several times about the group of House Democrats who fled the state to avoid uh, a vote on some uh, voting rights legislation. Well, enough of them came back to Texas that they held the vote in the House. It passed the House. It went to the Senate. It passed earlier in this week. So it has now been signed into law. Uh, the other big issue that's come out of Texas is their new uh, abortion law, which uh, restricts most abortions after uh, six weeks. Essentially, the way I saw that Texas abortion law described was if the baby has a detectable heartbeat, it is now a crime to aid, abet, uh, or perform uh, or have performed on you uh, an abortion, which is... I think it's fair to say that Roe v. Wade, at least at this point in the state of Texas, is is no more. Um, and 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 you were, I think you mentioned it was it last week. You were talking about the Supreme Court, and what is it they call the shadow docket, where they deal with these requests for uh, injunctive type relief uh, in the during the uh, the summertime when they're not holding court, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, that's it's quite interesting to me that that uh, the court denied the stay of that of that statute, and, and it's in effect. That may be the most interesting part of the story, and, and to get a case before the U.S. Supreme Court's a big deal, and a lot of work goes in before you do oral arguments there, before the court makes a decision. But the shadow docket to which you're referring is that the ability of of parties that are involved in court cases to ask the Supreme Court to intervene, and there's a justice who's assigned to every part of the country. Uh, in this case, I believe it's Justice Alito, uh, and uh, but then other justices can weigh in to some extent. I don't know the, all the rules about that, but in this case, the Supreme Court decided not to intervene. And they're hearing a case out of Mississippi involving an abortion rights law there with their next term starting in October. Starting the first month, uh, first is it first Monday in October? First Monday in October. 
which was a great movie, by the way. That was a good movie. Yeah, um, it really was. Uh, but yeah, it's and and then this this Texas voting law. Do you know the? I guess the numbers from the Texas House. It passed eighty to forty-one. Yeah, and and now, as I understand it, it, it goes to the Senate. That's correct, and it's passed the Senate now. Oh, oh, oh it has already passed. It has passed the Senate. Okay, so, so so the House has 150 members, and uh, so that means 121 were there for the vote. They had a quorum. It passed with two-thirds of the vote. So 29 didn't vote. Right, or or didn't come back. Maybe they're still in uh, Portugal or somewhere. So good things happening in Texas for those of yeah. us who uh, who think right. At least some good things happening in Texas. That's There's right. still a border crisis there. We can't forget that. But yeah, and 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 now now help me here. There was a shooting of a Lyft driver um, Sunday or a Monday, and and it's gotten almost no play. But they believe that it was. Islamic terrorism related, or at least this guy was a sympathizer to such. I mean, he may not have been a member, if you will, of, of some uh, uh, terrorist group, but but he had leanings in that direction and, and, and sympathies. Uh, but it's not gotten any play. And I, I think that was in Texas, wasn't it? The, the version that I heard was that he, the, the shooter had previously been investigated, I guess, by the FBI. They hadn't had enough evidence to do anything with it. And so that case was closed maybe a few years ago. Which is interesting in and of itself. I mean, you wonder if there's, you know, what investigative reasons there could be. And there could be a lot of different reasons to, to withhold details uh, at this point. So are you ready for some football? Yeah, I think I am. Um, I watched uh, Nebraska and uh, Illinois on Saturday. Honestly, I was not terribly in, entertained. Um, and I think uh, this week's slate will um, will be a much better and more entertaining slate of games. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah, it always signals fall coming, and you know I have to say that I'm not uh, I tend not to watch sports if I don't have some type of rooting interest in one of the teams. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll just watch several games when it starts just to uh, you know get my fill of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I certainly don't keep up with it like I used to. Um, and, uh, but certainly, uh, I'll, uh, breeze by and see, see what's happening and, and what the scores are in these various games. What's on the agenda for next week? Well, you know, I, I have been trying to learn some, well, two things first. Uh, first, last week, I promised that I, this week I was going to give my theory of why we're so partisan today. And obviously events have overtaken that. But I will do that next week. Okay. I'll find some time next week or maybe the next week. Sometime we'll sometime do that. Sometime soon. Yeah, exactly. You know, the other thing is I've tried to reach out to some people in Washington State, excuse me, in Oregon, uh, to try to learn a little bit about this education reform that we talked about uh, two episodes ago. Still trying to get my, my hands around how they can totally disregard any type of standards in high school and very concerned about how that's going to play out. Um, I guess that is about what I'm watching now, other than, you know, what the effect is going to be on the Biden administration from Afghanistan and how quickly the mainstream media tries to ignore the story. Yeah. What about you? What's on your radar? Um, I think really the, the fallout from Afghanistan, I, I noticed uh, this morning that the Chinese uh, announced 
some uh, naval exercises um, off their coast just north of Taiwan starting tomorrow um, that had not been previously announced. And I hope that's all that they are as exercises and they're not a, uh, a prelude to some sort of uh, land grab with regard to Taiwan. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested in seeing how that plays out uh, particularly and then the rest of the Afghanistan fallout. You know, there have been a number of stories about uh, increasing Chinese aggression in that region, uh, as well as uh, defense buildup that they've been engaged in for years now. And, you know, part of the concern is after Afghanistan, if they're going to try to make some more aggressive moves against Taiwan or any of the other territories in that area. Yeah. Scary stuff, potentially. Sure is. I, 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 went, I did hear today, I was traveling and I was listening to C-SPAN, and they had a, um, it was almost like an interview that the uh, Center for International and Strategic Studies, I think is the group in D.C., or maybe they're at Princeton, I can't remember exactly where they are. I think they're at, in, at DC, in D.C., uh, had uh, the commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, and was uh, they were asking him a number of questions uh concerning modernization and force structure and, 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 and various things. And I, I would uh, recommend that to you. I, I found it uh, enlightening and, uh, and interesting as it could be on a number of uh, different points and, and, and areas, you know, from recruiting to retaining to uh, deterring the Chinese, deterring terrorism, um, you know, uh, having Marine uh, fighter jets uh, on a British aircraft carrier, which apparently we've been doing for five months, and how to kind of integrate those and, 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 and integrating the Navy and the Marine Corps more so we can project power, uh, you know, on the water better uh, uh, was very interesting. I'll check that out, and if uh, we can find a link to it, we'll post that on our Twitter account. Sure. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review.